broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. This is Unnecessary Roughness. You got to score points to win. You can't win without scoring points. Touchdown Raiders! He went right through the line and gives Vegas a touchdown to extend the lead. Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. Here's your boy Q. Got a text from the 707. It's just breaking on Twitter. Buda Baker's requested a trade. He'd be a perfect add-on for the Raiders if they decide to move up to that number three pick. Yeah, I saw that. Buda Baker, he changed his he changed his header on Twitter yesterday, and all of a sudden he's requesting a trade. You know how that goes. It's all because of what, Damon? I'll ask you why he wants a trade from Arizona. They stink. That's not why he wants. <laughs> Nobody cares about that. They only request trades when they want to get paid. So we'll get to that conversation in just a bit. Buda Baker requested a trade from the Arizona Cardinals. This is Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio 920. Demond Cotton and your boy Q. And joining us now on the phone lines to talk a little Clippers and Suns is Tomer Azerly from uh, the Clippers, uh, the Clutch Points, excuse me, Clippers beat writer from Clutch Points. And uh, Tomer, thanks so much for your time. I definitely appreciate you, my man. And I guess Paul George is the biggest, the biggest question mark when it comes to the Clippers and what they're going to do in the in this uh, playoff run. And uh, I know you had an opportunity to talk to head coach Ty Lue today. What is he saying about Paul George and uh, when will he be able to come back? Hey guys, first of all, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Um, look, PG is slowly recovering from his sprained right knee that he suffered on March 21st against the OKC Thunder. Um, you know, all things considered, it was it was it was a positive outcome considering how gruesome that injury looked. Um, you know, we talked to Ty today, and he was saying that, you know, PG's progressing, um, doing some on-court stuff, some standstill shooting, some, some light movement. But I think the biggest key for him is going to be uh, the mobility and flexion in, in that sprained right knee, seeing how, how quickly he's able to get to his, his normal uh, vertical lateral movements, especially out there in a playoff game. So, um, you know, Ty today said that, you know, if he's not 100% or close to 100%, uh, where we need him to be, we're not going to let him go out there and, you know, possibly re-injure himself. We're going to put his health and you know he's going to be the priority his health is their priority and so um if you know if it's a game seven and, and pg's not ready to go uh pg's not going to be able to just you know say i'm going to play anyways um he's going to have to sit this one out so um he's making some progress i, I don't think he'll make enough progress to be honest to be able to come back to the court in time for this series uh, i think they want to be super safe with him but anything can happen it's a long series we know how the playoffs can go so um, but that's the update on PG. That's the latest. Without PG in the lineup, at least to start off with, who will be the biggest factor? What, who will have to step up in in, in his uh, you know his absence against the Suns? Yeah, so we're looking at a couple guys with the Clippers. Um, you know, they played nine games without Paul George to close out the season. Uh, we saw Bones Highland take a big role off the Clippers bench as kind of the backup point guard. Um, we also saw uh, Norman Powell come back from his injury. Um, and just be a force, especially being able to draw fouls, get to the free throw line, um, and just cause havoc for the defense. So I'm looking at those two specifically, uh, Norman Powell and Bones Highland. But look, you know, no one player can replace the magnitude of, of a Paul George, both offensively and defensively. So we're going to see Norm. We're going to see Bones Highland. We're going to see Terrence Mann at times have to do it. Um, you know, Eric Gordon, who's starting in his place for the last couple of games, um, his ability to space the floor out has been huge for them. So he's going to have to step up and help out. So, um, it's not going to be any one person. Um, you know, Marcus Morris hasn't been in the rotation, but today Tyler's hinted that he, he could see a role for him in the rotation in, in this postseason. So, uh, and then I'm looking at Russell Westbrook. Uh, Russell Westbrook has to be that secondary star. Uh, they're going to stagger him and Kawhi Leonard, um, you know, alternate them, them in shifts. 
And so it, without PG, Russ is going to have to be just, you know, under control, that guy downhill, um, getting his teammates involved, but again, under control. So it's going to be, a, you know, all hands on deck type of situation to make up for PG's absence. Tomara Zarley, Clippers beat writer from Clutch Points, is our guest here on Radio Nation Radio 920, Unnecessary Roughness. You mentioned Russell Westbrook, and I, Tomara, I've been a, a guy that said many times that I'm a Russell Westbrook fan, and I know that he hasn't, you know, he wasn't great when he was with the Lakers. There was a lot of reasons for that. Uh, how has he been since he's been a member of the Clippers? How has he kind of slid into his role where it's not it's not as big as it was or is, is not even bad? I guess that's the wrong way to put it, but it, it wasn't like it was when it was with the Lakers. Yeah, I think there's there's something to be said about um, you know being wanted and, and and having that level of peace of mind and knowing that you're wanted and the fit is there. Um, that's resulted in, in him being positive. I mean, look, uh, in the 21 games that Westbrook has played, he's played all 21 games since acquired just after the All Star break. Um, the numbers that he's averaging efficiency wise, 49 percent from the field, 36 percent from three, those would be career highs over the over the length of, of, of a whole season. Um, and I think, you know, it's no surprise that he's been able to find his role, find a good role here because they have kind of the, um, the, the right guys around him, the shooters, the, the defense, the defenders, um, and some of the other star power to kind of take some of the load off of him, uh, where he doesn't need to be that number one, number two guy. I think with the Lakers, um, one, they didn't have the necessary shooting, uh, two, they didn't have the necessary, uh, you, you know, kind of, kind of the bench, the, the lengthy defenders that they needed. Uh, and, and three, he was kind of just, uh, you know, LeBron needs shooters out there. AD needs shooters mm-hmm. out there. And I think, um, you know, it's different with Kawhi and PG can shoot. AD and LeBron probably not as be- as good as them. So, um, you know, here, I think the, the biggest, most surprising thing, in my opinion, is that, um, you know, there were concerns about his fit initially. And I think him being able to play within this role, um, not really getting too ahead of himself, not really taking a one-on-one matchup too personally. Um, you know, I think that Laker game last week was a big example. Um, that was a must-win game for both teams. And, you know, people were worried about how, just how Westbrook would come out. Would he, would he take it personal? Would he come out chucking? And, you know, he blocked Austin Reeves in the first possession, came down through a lob to Zubats, and, and you know, kind of, that kind of just set the tone. I think he had 10 of his first 14 points uh, in the first quarter, and that kind of just set the tone. So if he can be that guy, again, playing within his role, not getting too ahead of himself, um, you know, not making it a Russ versus KD, Russ versus CP, uh, keep it a Clippers versus Suns type of thing, I think we'll see a positive Russ. I mean, look, the numbers have shown. He's been good. He's been good, mm-hmm. you know, the turnovers are going to be there, and I think, you know, I actually had an exclusive with Nicholas Batum the other day, and he was telling me, that, look, we talk about Russell Westbrook, but he's the only one out there, only only point guard in the league who misses shots and turns the ball over. Every point guard does it. <laughs> right. You just got to take the positives that, that come with it, which is the, the downhill attack, the, the, the creation for the teammates, and, and we've seen that to a large degree when he's out there. So um, I think are really focusing on that and again if Russell plays within his role I think he can be very beneficial to them believe me as a Warrior fan I see plenty of turnovers <laughs> I know nothing about I mean that's all they do they hit the shots but man there's a lot of turnovers but you know while you're talking about Russell Westbrook how much did it help him that PG was there and he was very familiar with him with their time together in OKC oh I mean he was the first one who came out and, and you know advocated for for the Clippers to sign him um, you know we had that press conference after the trade deadline and, uh, you know, PG just, you know, we didn't even bring him up. He, he just dropped, he just name dropped him and said, you know, if he, if we can get someone like that, that would be beneficial for us. Um, and I think, you know, Russ has played with PG for a while. They, they have good chemistry. Russ also played with Eric Gordon and uh, Robert Covington with the Rockets uh, for, for a brief season there. So he, he's got some guys here on this team that wanted him. Um, you know, Terrence Mann was in favor of adding him. Nicholas Batum, you know, they were all saying that, you know, we don't care what your previous situation was. We think you'd be a good fit here. 
And uh, again, like I said earlier, being wanted, um, it, it clearly goes a long way because the peace of mind you see him, you know, just laughing more, just just more active. You know, I don't know if it, if, if it's the Lakers were a little too stressful in that in that kind of scenario where it was just getting toxic or anything like that. But it's clear that the Clippers situation is just much better fit for him all around. I like I mean, it. I can tell you, yesterday the other day he was laughing a few times at practice, which you know you didn't see much with the Lakers. So. Uh, I think it's just being wanted goes a long way. Uh, I really, I really think so. No, you're you're right about that, and I'm glad Russ is having a good time with the Clippers again. We're talking with Tomer Azarley here on Radio Nation Radio 920. Unnecessary roughness. Demond's got one for you. In that last game of the season, you saw a bit of a dust up between Mason Plumley and Bones Highland. When it comes to fitting in and knowing your role, how does Bones Highland fit with this team? Because I know that the uh, the Nuggets basically just gave him away, but he's a bucket getter on a team that doesn't need him to just specifically be a bucket getter. Right. I actually, uh, you know, I actually asked Bones about that because he, he spoke at practice the other day, and I asked him, like, you know, is, is that just competitive nature? Is there anything more to that? And he goes, you know, we 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 blew past that like minutes later. Uh, we were already over. We set together on the plan. We were playing cards. We were eating food together, just messing around. So, um, I, I think you know, in the heat of the moment, um, I don't think it's uncommon to see these kind of things. Um, you know, there was clearly, if you saw the whole play, there was a defensive mix-up there where. Um, Mason and Bones just miscommunicated on who was going to get out to a shooter. No one got out to him. Luckily, he missed the three. But, you know, those kind of possessions can kind of hurt you in a tight game that you needed to win. So I don't think there's anything really there. Um, I I think as as far as Bones' role, look, this guy played 17 minutes a game last year for the Denver Nuggets uh, in in the playoffs. Um, I think this is the guy who has some playoff experience. You know, average just under 10 points, three assists a game. Um, And I think, you know, with, with, with... the biggest thing for him that he said is communication. I think with the Nuggets, not to point anyone out, but I think he said the communication that was kind of lacking. He wasn't sure what to expect on a night-to-night basis. Uh, with the Clippers, he's just been able to um, know what to expect because Ty and his coaches have constantly communicate with him. They're telling, hey, you know, you might not get that much burn tonight. You might get a lot more run tomorrow. And, um, you know, he came out and he proved himself over the last couple of weeks. Um, he's just been a guy you, honestly, I didn't think he'd play this well, and you can't take him out of the rotation right now. Uh, he closed the season – uh, averaging just o- over 13 points a game uh, and four assists on a 45% shooting, 38 from three. So uh, he's going to be a guy that they're really going to lean on. I think he can win you a playoff game. Uh, but the key to him, again, is kind of just along that Russell line, Russell Westbrook line, where you have to play within within the, the flow of the offense, not really get, to, uh, get into the one-on-one type of matchup. And then with this team, throughout the Western Conference playoff race in the picture, everyone was saying no matter where, if you landed in the play-in, everyone wanted that six spot to play against the Kings, but no one wanted to be matched up against the Suns. How are the Clippers looking at this? I, I don't want to say take, take on the challenge of the Suns because they haven't won anything either, but have they heard the talk of, hey, man, nobody wanted to play the Suns in the first round? I mean, the thing with the Clippers is they won – if you've watched them for a while, this iteration of this team struggles with speedy guards. Uh, so De'Aaron Fox, in my opinion, was just going to have his, you know, a party in that first round if they played against one another. Um, not that he wasn't, you know, already destroying other teams, but you know what I mean? Like, he, he, they struggle against point guards like that, like speedy point guards. So uh, the Suns this year, even with KD, without KD, they don't play a very fast-paced offense. They have a lot of half-court players, a lot of guys who are better in the half-court. And I think that favors the Clippers because they don't want to get out and run either. They're one of the oldest teams in the league. Um, Ty Lewis consistently put, you know, told them push, push, push. But you know, Westbrook has helped that. But at the same time, when you have a guy like Kawhi Leonard, uh, one of the best half-court players in the league, a bunch of really good shooters around him, you don't always want to play that type of way. And I think you know, both of the teams are just like a half-court kind of centric team. 
So, in my opinion, it's it's weird to say this, but I think without PG, this might be a better situational matchup for them mm. because just the Kings were going to run on them for the entire game. And I think, you know, we saw that 176-175 shootout. I don't think the Clippers can play a seven-game series in a shootout with the Kings. I really don't. I think the Kings are um, going to surprise a lot of people this postseason. Um, so I, I, I think it's a better matchup situationally because both of these teams are so half-court centric and, and don't want to play a fast pace. Talk right now with Tomer Azarli, Clippers beat writer for Clutch Points here on Raider Nation Radio 920. I got to ask about Coach Lou. It, it doesn't matter if there's a bunch of injuries. It doesn't matter if the Clippers may be on a losing streak or not playing their best ball. It seems like Coach Lou has a fine way of kind of calming the waters. What is it about Ty Lou that helps him be that guy? Hell, he did that even in Cleveland when he was the coach. Yeah, I think, you know, when you consider who he's been with in his career, we're talking coached by Phil Jackson multiple times, um, you know, won, won a championship. Um, you know, he also played with Kobe, Michael Jordan, Coach <laughs> LeBron James. Like, this guy has been with the best of the best at every level. And I think you know, Doc Rivers even won a championship. I know that, you know, he kind of gets his name gets thrown out a bit. But, like, you know, in 2008, that first year of the Celtics, um, it's hard to see a team in their first year together like that so completely different win a title. And so um, he was part of that coaching staff, and you see um, he just has – he just has a calm demeanor about him that, that you know, he's never really phased by anything. He, he just understands that um, as long as you're, you're doing the necessary things to win, you can kind of just accept the outcome. It might not be what you want, uh, but he's always just been that type of guy where um, he has a certain vision for what he wants offensively, defensively, and I think his coaching staff helps echo that. Um, but I think that all in all, he just, he just has a certain type of way to play, and uh, he's found what works for him. I mean, Two years ago in the playoffs in 2021, uh, he benched starting point guard Patrick Beverly and benched starting point guard uh, Ivica Zubac against the Mavericks. And they were starting Chris Saspor-Zingas and Boban Marjanovic, and they won that series, won the finals two games. Uh, then he reinserted Zubac into the starting lineup after. So, like, he, he, he will adjust to any situation. I think everyone everyone on the team will buy into his his plan. He's a player's coach. Everyone loves him. And so I think the, the buy-in level from the, from the players, they, they feel that. They know that they don't have to walk around eggshells if they miss five shots in a row or whatever like that. As long as you're playing the right way, um, Ty will, will kind of trust you to, to you know, to, with playing time and everything. So um, I think he just, he just has the, the trust of his players, and I think it, it, it shows. Final question for you, and this might be the most important question. Uh, Marcus Morris, I always say that the Morris twins are some guys that I'd like to have uh, have my back, right? If I'm going to walk down a, a dark alley, I want the Morris twins <laughs> to be with me. Who does Marcus Morris get into it with first in this upcoming series with the Suns getting started on Sunday? Who does he dust it up with? Ooh. I mean, the favorite has to be – that's tough. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to go between I'm gonna go between Devin Booker and Bismack Biyombo. I feel like those two – There you uh, go. Those two, yeah, I feel like one of those two. It's got to be one of those two. Gotta yeah, good odds on those two. I felt like I felt pretty confident saying Booker was going to be that guy. It just kind of feels like Booker tries to to play that role that he may be a little tougher than he is, and and Morris is tougher than he is, <laughs> right? I mean, he, he is that guy, man. The Morris twins ain't no joke, man. Those are two cats that you want to have uh, have your back at all times. Good yeah, stuff, no. good stuff, Tamir. We definitely appreciate you. What you got coming out that we should be on the lookout for? Uh, I mean, look, I just had a, uh, an exclusive podcast with Nicholas Batum. Uh, nice. We chopped it up on everything from, you know, we talked about Brandon Roy and the Blazers, uh, Russell Westbrook and the Clippers. Uh, we had some fun little trivia stuff. Uh, I'm working on a piece of, you know, I interviewed Kawhi Leonard and, and some of the other guys about 
why they think this team could be a championship contender because historically speaking, championship contenders are top three seeds. Uh, you don't usually see the bottom the bottom six or whatever, five win. So um, I have a piece coming out on that. Uh, but that's pretty much it. You can check my work out on ClutchPoints.com, on, on Twitter, on Instagram. That's where I get most of my stuff up. Boom, there it is right there. Well, Tamara, we definitely appreciate your time this afternoon, man. Enjoy the series. It gets started on Sunday, and we'll be talking to you soon. Hey, appreciate y'all. Thank you. Appreciate Thank you. It. Great stuff. Tomara Zarley with us, Clippers beat writer at Clutch Points, clutchpoints.com. You can check him out, and then on Twitter, at Tomara Zarley. That's T-O-M-E-R-A-Z-A-R-L-Y. Great stuff breaking down Clippers and Suns. Playoffs get started on Sunday for them. This is going to be a fun weekend talking all things NBA, just covering the NBA like a glove. It's going to be a whole lot of fun to check out the playoffs. 416 is the time. We'll take a quick break, come back, get to some calls and texts. This is Radio Nation Radio 920. You're listening to Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q on Raider Nation Radio. Coming up at 4.30, Vinny Bonsignor from the Morning Tailgate and, of course, the Review Journal as well. We'll close us out this week talking all things silver and black, and we definitely appreciate Vinny. He'll come up in about 10 minutes, give a lie or two. This is Unnecessary Roughness here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Demon Cotton and your boy Q. I uh, had a text before we started talking to uh, Tomara Zarley about the Clippers. I uh, had a text that said, it's just breaking on Twitter. Buda Baker's requesting a trade. He'd be a perfect add-on for the Raiders if they decide to move up for that number three pick. And I said, Damon, why does Buda Baker want to be traded? And you said, what? Because they stink. And I said, what? <laughs> because he wants to get paid. Adam Schefter tweets, team source, Buda Baker informed the Cardinals in February he wanted to be traded or receive a new deal to make him the highest paid safety. So I ask you, Damon, what would the highest paid safety or what, who is the highest paid safety and how much does he make? That would be Derwin James, who's making a little over $19 million a year. And when he signed his contract, got $42 million guaranteed. And I know a lot of Raider Nation's already flooding Twitter, flooding the text line, calling in, saying, go get Buda Baker. Look, the reason why guys like DeAndre Hopkins, Buda Baker, who else has asked for a trade lately that wants a trade? Lamar Jackson, all these other guys that want trades. The reason why they want trades is they want to be the highest paid guy. Oh, Devin White, right? And I know that the names are sexy and a lot of people, man, this is, get this guy. It's not Madden. You can't go and trade for everybody because they all want contracts. Can you imagine going and getting Devin White, giving him the most money at a linebacker position, going and getting Buda Baker, giving him the most money at the safety position, going and getting DeAndre Hopkins, giving him really good money at the wide receiver position, going and getting Lamar. I mean, you can't, you can't pay everybody. You can't make everybody the highest paid everything. It's, just, it's impossible. You just can't do it. And then I know that I didn't even mention the actual total value because when you, look, when you talk to the cap guys, they say, look at the guaranteed money. Right. But the, the, the sports center splash would be, Derwin James, four years, $76 million. Right. No, no, no Raider fan would sign up for that. No, not at all. Not at all. And I think Buda Baker is a great talent. I liked him a lot coming out of Washington, but I liked him a lot coming out of Washington. <laughs> right? I mean, as simple as that. Those guys, and he's a hell of a player, but the Raiders are trying to build, as you could tell by free agency, the, build, the Raiders are trying to build through the draft. They're not trying to go out and spend the money on everybody. They're just not trying to do it. So as much as it would be great to see him roaming, Center field for the silver and black because, yeah, he's exactly what they need. He's going to come at a high cost. And there's no reason to trade for a guy on a one-year deal. You don't want to waste your draft capital on a one-year deal. Let's go out to the phone lines at 702-365-9200. We'll start with Gangster Raider. And the reason we'll start with Gangster Raider, as soon as I booked Tomara Zarley, the Clippers beat writer, to be on the show, I immediately thought of Gangster Raider, who is a Clippers fan. Gangster, welcome to the show. It's been a minute. 
Clip set, clip set, clip set, clip set. <laughs> it's about time we got some Clipper news on Red Nation Radio. And I told JT the brick, he talking about Clippers don't move the needle. We do move the needle. We the best team in L.A., and we finna smash the Suns. And what I want to say, it's about time that y'all got him on and any other Clipper beat riders because it's hard to get real basketball um information out here in L.A. because it's all Laker-centric. Everything Laker this, Laker that, when the best team in L.A. is actually the Clippers. We're the fifth seed, and they think I think they just finished being in the play-in. They barely made it to overtime to beat their little play-in game, and we done beat their butts 11 times in a row. The last time they beat us was in the bubble. So I'm going to say it here. L.A. is a Clipper town. You heard it first. Shout-out to Clipper Daryl and all the real Clipper fans in L.A. Go Clippers! Let's go! And I'll be back and forth to Phoenix, too, so I might got a chance to go to all seven games if it goes seven games. I'm pumped up. Clip set, clip set, clip set. You know how we do, Q. We're going to meet up with you and your boys in the finals. I mean, in the Western Conference Finals. Watch. That's what I'm predicting. Clippers and Warriors, Western Conference Finals. And we, um, we're going to put it down. I'm right. gone. Appreciate the call. Appreciate the call. I knew, hey, look. I knew it. Immediately when I booked him, I thought immediately a Gangster Raider. And I even told you that in the commercial break. I was like, man, as soon as I said anything about the Clippers, I was like, man, Gangster Raider is a big Clipper fan. So I'm glad that he called to represent it. That's awesome. Ain't man, he, I'm the, the most passionate Clipper fan I know. I'm not, No, Clipper Daryl. <laughs> don't, don't, Clipper Daryl will get on your helmet, man. You know, also, get shout out to my boy Fresco from Northtown. He got the Clipper logo tattooed on Does his shoulder. Really? And it's like, yo, Fresco, what are you doing, buddy? <laughs> <laughs> Let's go out to the phone lines. Let's talk to our good friend Bernard. Welcome to the show, Bernard. Hey, how y'all doing? Yeah, we're blessed. Hey, Q, just real quick, shout out to y'all show. When I listen to y'all show, man, I think about I think about chemistry, man. I, I really uh, enjoy listening to it, and it's progressed so much since y'all since I started listening to you and they they uh, Devon. And um, man, I can tell you a mentor, man. So keep keep up the good work. And Devon is an up and comer. It's just I just I I really seen him grow, and 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 you you excellent, man. I appreciate your work. Appreciate and you. You. Stole, you you just did the words out my mouth, but I wanted to bring up build through the draft, and that, and that's what the Raiders do. That's not do I, my, what I like about Ziegler. It seems like he's sticking to his guns and he has a plan. So let's let it work out. And a lot of people talk about what what Gruden did, like when he traded Khalil Mack and Amari Cooper. I take it back to when Al Davis uh, traded John Gruden to the Buccaneers. They screwed up that all those first round picks that he got for Gruden. And we didn't do anything with, with those picks. And you've talked about that uh, mm-hmm. before. So I, I go back to there, even before this, the, 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 uh, when Gruden let go of uh, Mac, you know, and Amari Cooper, we didn't do nothing with, with those picks. So my thing is, if they can get two, I wish they get three impact players, two on defense and whatever other player they get, even if it's three, three on defense. And let's, Let's sign some of our players to a second contract, Q. Mm-hmm. Can, can we do that? Yeah. So if we do that, that means that those guys have, have developed. They don't have to, you know, produce right away, even though we want them to. But out of this coming draft, we, we, they have to get at least, at the minimum, two impact players on defense. And then if they pick, you know, the later picks, whatever they get, let's sign some of our players, our homegrown players, and get them to a second contract. So we can get a jersey and still have that dude Jersey, you know, five years from now, you <laughs> right. know, and not have to throw it in the dumpster or whatever. So I'm not buying no more jerseys. And if it's new, it's, it's old school, Stabler, mm-hmm. Upshaw, Shell, Tatum, something like that. I'm not buying no new jerseys no more. I'm done with that. So my thing is build through the draft and let's sign some of our guys to a second contract and be patient with Ziegler. We have to, with, uh, and McDaniel, stop putting all the past uh, uh, failures on them. You got to give them a chance. And if, 
we see some improvement this year, that's what we're going to see. We can't go backwards, and I don't think they will. But we can't put every, all the failures or the past drafts on this group. And like you said, they have all their play, players in place. They, they updated their draft of grades and, and all that stuff. So let's let it play out. We're going to be excited about this draft, but I just feel like they're going to pick some good players, and let's see what they do once the season starts. I like it. Great stuff. As my grandfather would say, preach or preach on. Right? I mean, because that's, that's real. And especially when it comes to the jerseys. After, uh, after Matt got traded, dog, I was like, no more. <laughs> There's no more. I'm not buying any more jerseys. And only because I got a birthday gift that was a Josh Jacobs jersey. That's the only reason I got that. But I'll tell you right now, I'm with Bernard. I, 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 stopped, uh, I stopped getting jerseys a, a long time ago after that Mac trade. Uh, but, no, building through the draft is important. And it would really be nice to see the Raiders to continue to give guys second contracts, reward them. And I know, obviously, it didn't work out with Waller, didn't work out with Carr. But to be able to see a guy like a Max Crosby, a fourth-round pick, get a second contract, a Hunter Renfro, a fifth-round pick, get a second contract. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's good to see that. You have to, as an organization, do that. Be able to reward the players that you draft and you develop be able to keep them around. And I know at some point it's a business, and at some point you're going to say, okay, I uh, want to get rid of this guy you know, a year earlier than a year too late. You know, For the most part, that's what you know, the Patriots and other uh, organizations that are really good at, at drafting and developing what they do, that's what the Raiders will end up doing too. You know, There'll be somebody that, okay, they probably have one or two good years left, get rid of them a year early than, than a year too late. So that's okay. If you have a really good pipeline when it comes to the draft, you're able to do that instead of having to hold on and, again, spend a whole bunch of free agency money to build a team. 429 is the time. Vinny Bonsignor, he'll join us next. He'll talk all things silver and black. It's Raider Nation Radio 920. Now back to Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q. And it's time to go inside the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Sponsored by Dos Caras Tequila and presented by the Realty One Group. And Vinny Bonsignor joins us now on the phone lines here on Raider Nation Radio 920 Unnecessary Roughness. And Vinny, let me start off with the question that I asked Raider Nation uh, as we started the show today. We really don't know how good a draft is immediately, right? But you still have a pretty decent idea coming out of it. Like, man, I think that team did really well. It looks like they got some really good players. Or, man, what in the hell did they do? How do you what, – how would you look at this draft when it's all said and done, at least, you know, when the weekend's over – what do you think the Raiders need to come away with to make you feel like, okay, they had a pretty good draft? Yeah, um, I think as opposed to some, maybe some recent, you know, Raider drafts where uh, you're not kind of scratching your head <laughs> over some of the picks. Yeah. I think, I think immediately I, it could look good on paper, right? Um, we could say, hey, everything that they did made sense. They addressed needs. They didn't reach for players. Uh, they got players that were, you know, uh, in and around where they were kind of where they drafted them, where they had been speculated to go. So I think initially we should have a pretty decent idea, and then you know into the season, um, you know, by the end of the season, you want to see about four or five, maybe six of these guys playing and contributing. Um, I, I I think all twelve, if they stick with twelve players, are going to be in the building one way or another, whether it's on the fifty-three man roster or a combination of on the 53-man roster or the practice squad. Uh, but I think by, by, by the day after, we'll have a pretty good idea. And then obviously into the season, if it all pans out, um, guys contributing. And, and by the end of this season, looking back and saying, hey, you know what, the, the, the Raiders nailed that draft. All right, Vinny, I want to throw a question out there that Mailman Raider asked Q and I. Would you all consider one transcendent Hall of Famer, like Lawrence Taylor-type player, 
but the rest of the draft was a bust, a successful draft. Now, you being from L.A., Aaron Donald, no one can remember the rest of those players drafted alongside Aaron Donald, but he is a transcendent player. Do you still think that would be a successful draft for the Raiders? <laughs> um no, I mean, I, I, I can't say that it would be a... I was uh, looking for an ally, Vinny. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, yeah. Vinny, for validating my point. You know, I mean, obviously, you, you still want to get the Aaron Donald. Um, and, you know, it, it's funny because I don't know if you remember who the, who the Rams drafted before Aaron Donald in that trade, it was, or in that draft. There's a guy by the name of Greg Robinson, yep. who was a tackle from Auburn, who everyone thought was going to be pretty good. He was the second pick overall, I think second or third pick uh, overall, but was a bust, literally a bust. So it saved that draft. Uh, for them, um, so no, no, they need to. This is this goes beyond. You know, it, it'll be great. You know, fifteen, sixteen years down the road, twenty years down the road, that a Hall of Famer comes out of this draft. But immediately, the Raiders need a bunch of these players to to play and to play well and to play well soon. That, and that's exactly what I was saying. Like, of course, you want the Hall of Famer, there's no doubt, but they've got so many holes, Vinny, that they need production, and it's it's more than just one guy. They have production from one guy right now. His name is Max Crosby. Right, exactly, and, and, and that's not enough, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. As good as Max Crosby is, this isn't the NBA, uh, and even in the NBA you're going to need plenty of help, obviously, but especially uh, in, in, in football, uh, it's the ultimate team game, and so, yeah, they need to, there, there's no question that they need to, to nail this draft now. Hopefully there is a Hall of Famer right. uh, that comes out of this thing, uh, but they need a bunch of, they need some Pro Bowl players and some guys that you can count in Sunday after Sunday, day after day, play after play, too. No doubt about it. Vinny Bonsignor is our guest here on Radio Nation Radio 920, Unnecessary Roughness. Wanted to ask you about Anthony Richardson. He's the, the gift that keeps on giving. I mean, he's the guy that everyone talks about, the big ceiling, including myself, right? He's got me to the point where I'm thinking, man, should the Raiders make that move for him at number three? They seem like they really liked him. I know that he visited uh, the facility last week, matter of fact, last Friday to be exact, uh, but at his pro day, man, Dave Ziegler was like the first guy out there. How much do you feel like the Raiders are looking at Anthony Richardson, and, and how much do you think that they like him? I think they like him a lot. Do they like him at the seventh pick overall or to trade up? Oh man, I, I, that's that's a que- question that's 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 hard to answer. Uh, when when he was, you know, jumped into the to, to sort of my radar, let's put it that way. Um, it was a while ago, um, and it was nowhere at that particular time. In in no shape or form uh, was he being talked about as the seventh pick, let alone maybe even a first round pick. It was right. more along the lines of in the second round. You know, it's it's raw. There's going to be a lot of work that needs to get done. But good gracious, look at this guy. Uh, there, there's a lot to like there than for down the road. So now it's a different question. Uh, they like him, uh, but do they like him at number seven? And do they can they afford the um, the 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 the, the not the bust, but the not the not working out factor. Can they can can they uh, afford that part of it at the number seven pick? Obviously, you go for the upside at number seven. There's no doubt that the upside is so you know uh, high that that it makes it makes sense wherever you draft him. But are you willing to deal with the downside of it that he doesn't get there, and then you just wasted the seventh pick, or if he has to trade up to go get him? I'm not so sure. Um, that, uh, that that's worth it. And it's what's interesting is I just got a call from Sam Farmer from the LA Times. He was doing his mock draft. He calls a bunch of you know, beat mm-hmm. writers across uh, the country and covering all their teams, and it was the Raiders pick. Hey, you're on the clock, number seven. Who's still there? Anthony Richardson was still there. I'm like, what? Like, like, like it surprised me yeah. that he would still be there in this, in this mock draft that a bunch of people had been doing. So 
who who knows what's going to happen too and that's the that, so the so it could get to a point where He's there at number seven, and the Raiders have a big decision to make. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that and putting a mock draft together, and I'm sure you saw it this morning in studio. There's a big poster board on the yes. wall in the window. I, I didn't tell anybody what that was for. I didn't tell you guys, and I was like, man, I'm going to go in there, and Clay is going to write in, like, who Carolina's picking, Vinny's going to pick here, there, <laughs> all that. That's actually an unnecessary roughness mock draft that we're going to do starting on Monday all the way through to the 31 first pick, which should end around Wednesday right before the draft. So it's going to be a bunch of beat writers, just like you said, Sam Farmer just called you. But – Vinny, you hit it on the head. It doesn't matter who's doing the mock drafts. There's always that oh, wow moment, right? I mean, it's always a moment where you look up and say, wow, I didn't expect that to happen. And that very well easily could happen in the real draft coming up April 27th. I almost think that it is. Um, and, and, you know, the reason I say that is because, uh, you know, especially with these, these four quarterbacks, and, you know, we, we were, I, I think everybody can agree that the four top quarterbacks at least – on paper, uh, is Richardson, you know, C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, and Will Levis. Uh, it's 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 the order of that four could change 32 different times if you walk into 32 different uh, draft rooms right now and took a look at 32 different draft boards. It literally could. There's so much. It's I've never I can't remember a draft where when you're when we're talking about the quarterbacks that there's enough differences among all four of these guys that it really is what flavor ice cream do you like almost. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and it will come down to the beauty is in the eye of the beholder. You, and we don't know what Carolina finds the most attractive or Houston or the Raiders uh, or Indianapolis or whoever might trade up to number three. Uh, and that's why it, it, it behooves the Raiders, and I think they're doing a pretty good job of this, having all their bases covered because come draft night, uh, there's a lot of different curveballs that can get thrown, and we're going to finally find out who likes who, you know, and yeah. who's eyeing who. And it could get to a point where after the Houston pick, there might be a couple of quarterbacks or at least one quarterback that the Raiders really like that is there at number three. And it'll be interesting to see if, if, if they're motivated to go uh, get that quarterback uh, that they particularly like. Vinny yours, I guess, here on Raider Nation Radio 920, Unnecessary Roughness. DeMond's got one for you. If you opened the dictionary and looked up the definition of the Raiders' biggest draft need, you might actually see a picture of Georgia defensive tackle Jalen Carter. That's what you wrote ahead of his visit with the Raiders. How hard do you think it would be for the team if he's sitting there at number seven for them not to take him? Uh, I, I wouldn't say it would be hard uh, because I think they're going to they're gonna have that decision made well before it gets to that point, if it gets to that point. But I will say it's going to be extremely frustrating because uh, that is the truth of the matter. If you opened up a dictionary and looked at Raiders' defensive need, you might as well see a picture of Jalen Carter. Uh, and that's what makes this so frustrating, uh, not just for the Raiders, but for, for some other teams as well. Uh, because he is, when he's right, uh, and, and when he's motivated and we, when he's playing with a full head of steam, that dude is a game record, period, exclamation point. You go watch the, the, the film, and there's times when he's unblockable. I, I, it's, that's a rare thing. Um, you don't get that very often, but he has it, and he possesses it. Uh, but there's questions about whether he does bring it day in and day out, practicing, snap in, snap out, and there obviously are some red flags. So if they have to reluctantly say no, uh, I don't think they're going to be mad about it, but I think they're going to be extremely frustrated by having to do that because they know uh, what he's all about and, and, and what their need is, uh, especially on the interior of the defensive line. We haven't had any reports about the visit just yet about maybe how well or how bad it could have gone. 
but something that we hear every team that maybe, hey, Jalen Carter would be a fit for them is how the team around them would have the structure in place to, hey, maybe avoid some of those red flags, but by the players that they have on the team that could be mentors to a player like Jalen Carter. Do you think that the Raiders do have that specific that infrastructure in place that, hey, he comes here, the guys in the, the team that we have around him, he won't be a problem at all. He won't be in any trouble because of what we have built up here in Las Vegas. Uh, I, I do think the infrastructure is there, uh, Devon. Um, you know, I think when you look at guys like Chandler Jones and Max Crosby, who better? <laughs> you know, uh, you know, in, in Chandler, uh, you have somebody that's done it for a long time and and is as smart and intelligent uh, and and savvy as as you can come across. Then you have Max Crosby, who's on his way to a potentially Hall of Fame career uh, and has been to kind of hell and back uh, himself. So there isn't anyone that can speak about decision-making and putting yourself in a bad position and being able to get yourself out of that kind of a lifestyle more than Max Crosby. So, yes, I do think the infrastructure uh, is in place. But uh, I go back to we had Sean Merriman on our show uh, last week, and, and, and he's come across that, you know, in, in the locker rooms that he's been in where, you know, uh, you, you want to take somebody under their wing. And, you, and there has been cases that he's come across where they were able to get somebody on the right track and keep them on the right track. But he also said this, and this is what really, um, you know, raised my eyebrows. He was, but then there's some guys that just don't, there's, no, there's nothing you can say. There's nothing that you can do. There's no example that you can give them. There's, no, there's no, uh, not enough guidance that you can provide or infrastructure or mentorship or anything because they're just not going to take it and it's not going to take hold. And that's the big worry with a Jalen Carter and really anybody, I guess, that, that, you, that you end up drafting is that you can have everything in place. Um, as, as good as any team in the league and have everyone there in a, a support system that's going to provide all the support that's needed. If it's not, if the player isn't accepting it and, and honoring it and, and taking heed of it and, and executing it, then it's all, it's just in one ear and out the other and it's all for naught and you're, you're, you're going to end up getting burned on that in those type of situations. When it comes to narratives, it's always interesting to see the fans' perspective on what the team needs in the draft. If you probably would have asked up until Josh Jacobs secured the Russian title, it would be the team needs to improve the offensive line. But now it's looking like if the team were to draft an offensive lineman in the first round, fans would say, what are you guys doing? Not we don't seven. need Not one. So how soon do you think or if this team needs to take an offensive lineman in this draft or just run it back with the offensive lineman that they already have on the roster? I think they are going to, um, you know, try to improve in the offensive line. I just heard uh, Q uh, rightfully saying not at the seventh pick overall. Now, here's the thing: if they had um, other, if they, if they were uh, more secure, um, you know, from uh, from a roster standpoint, uh, you know, on defense and, and and their needs weren't as glaring or as multiple uh, on defense, I think they know in the building, man, we could really use a stud right tackle mm-hmm. or a, a stud interior offensive lineman to take this thing to a whole other level. Um, uh, but but they unfortunately they do have a bunch of other needs. So uh, the fact that they were able to kind of get it stabilized last year creates a, a comfort level and a little bit of flexibility that they don't have to be urgent about the offensive line. Even if they didn't make any improvements in terms of bringing somebody else in as a rookie um, or a couple of rookies or whatever the case might be, they're they're pretty comfortable that they can go into next year and and get that thing you know put together again and play enough competitive football to help an offense and um, you know be okay. They want to get better though. I, I can't I can't say that any louder, <laughs> scream it any uh, louder than that. They do want to get better then. But as as Q said, the number seven pick, 
with all the other needs, um, it probably isn't isn't real feasible. Now they could, you know, if they if they really fall, fall in love with the Oklahoma, or excuse me, the um, you know the the Georgia offensive tackle or the uh, you know uh, the Ohio State tackle mm-hmm. or Skaronsky from from Northwestern, you know, they could, and you would you couldn't argue it because those are are, are good players uh, that are worth um, you know th- uh, that being selected in that position in the draft. But the Raiders, I'd be surprised if they did that in the second and third round. I could definitely see them. Uh, bringing in some some reinforcements, uh, especially in the interior of the offensive line. There's no doubt about that. Vinny will close out with this. With the Raiders right now currently having 12 draft picks. They got 12 cracks at it. I've been saying multiple times, I don't believe they'll they'll select 12. I just don't. I just don't think that that's how it's going to go. How do you think Dave Ziegler attacks the draft? Like, Does he get picky and maybe uh, package some draft picks and move up and down? I mean, how, how do you think Dave Ziegler will handle this draft this time around? I think there's going to be a lot of movement. Um, of course, it takes two to tango. We all get that. And we all understand that. Uh, but I think he's going to. I think there's going to be a lot of uh, maneuvering up and down. And, and here's my question: Is uh, you could turn 12 into 15, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and then bring a bunch of players in here and, and give yourself uh, so many swings at the bat that you're going to, by just by sheer numbers, you're going to end up, you know, with a you could end up with a pretty good draft. Or you can take 12 and make it nine, but out of that nine, make it like seven really good players. You know what right. I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah. So, so there's a bunch of different ways that they, can, that they can go, but I think they have their ducks in a row. I know that they're still closing in. It's sort of a race against time right now to get it you know, uh, uh, nailed down the way they want it, get it nailed down. I, I would say this time next week, they're going to be able to put a bow on that draft board and be able to go take some time off and, and, and rest it up before the draft. They're not quite there yet, but they're working hard to it. And I do think that when draft weekend comes around, they're going to have uh, they're going to have this thing uh, nailed down uh, pretty well, and be able to because of that information, because of all that knowledge and all the work that they're putting in, uh, make some really good solid decisions whether to move up uh, or maybe even move down in this draft. Speaking of nailed down, how about that uh, number three overall pick? Do you think Dave Ziegler's picked up the phone and already communicated enough with Arizona to have a pretty good idea of what it's going to take to move up to three if they so choose to go get that 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 player at number three? Yeah, I do, uh, and I and I think that um, you know, conversely, I think there's there's probably a few teams that they've talked to behind them mm-hmm. uh, that if it breaks the way those other teams you know might might want it to break, uh, they know what it would take to come up to number seven. Just like I think the Raiders have a pretty good idea uh, of what it would take to go up to number three. Here's my this is the crazy thing because I'm still not sold on Houston. I still can't necessarily get a read on Houston, and I don't think a lot of people have. Uh, but they could throw a curveball or a big monkey wrench in this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and they may even want to trade down. So uh, I, I would imagine that they've had conversations with them uh, as well. But, yeah, I do think that they know uh, what it would take if, if a scenario broke the way uh, that would be pleasing for them or motivating enough for them to go up. They know what it's going to take to do that. Well, we had Aaron Wilson on yesterday, and he said that there's a, there's a chance, he believes there's a good chance that Houston does not take a quarterback at number two if the guy that they really want is not there, and I'm assuming there he's talking about Bryce Young. So we'll see. Like you said, there could be a massive monkey wrench thrown into the draft as early as the number two overall pick. Vinny. And that's it, real quick. Yep. That is, uh, you know, uh, Houston winning that last game took them out of the running of making the decision themselves. Now they're beholden to another team uh, to do that. And, and as, as, as you just said, that could change everything based on who Carolina takes, and that's the key to the whole thing. It really is, and that's Lovey Smith, the gift that keeps on giving, right? <laughs> he knew that he was out the door. You don't never tell a guy you're fired before, uh, before he plays or he coaches up that last game because he exactly. could put you in a bad position. Well, Vinny, great stuff as always, man. Great week. What do you got coming out that we should be on the lookout for on the RJ? 
Yep, just did a um, a little recap of the offensive line and, and what they may be looking at um, in terms of, of the draft. Uh, as, as you said, I don't think it's going to be there at number seven, but uh, I would expect some reinforcements to come through the draft. So, uh, so but and, and on the other hand, a lot of credit to uh, Jermaine Illuminar for for really um, solidifying his role uh, on the team and 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 really helping make that offensive line turn into not a strength, but certainly not a weakness that I think we all thought it was going to be going into last year. There's no doubt about it. Well, Vinny, thanks so much for your time, my man. I appreciate you. Have a great weekend. Enjoy some time with the family, and we'll uh, we'll talk soon. All right, you too. Have a great show, guys. All right, brother. Take appreciate care. you. There he goes, Vinny Bonsignor. He said, have a great show. We got 10 minutes. <laughs> you got to take a break right he's now. He's used to being on at 2.30. Normally he's on at 2.30, so that's why it would be like, have a great show. But it's like, have a great wrap-up of the show. Matter of fact, speaking of wrap-up, we'll do that. We'll take a break. Come back. Wrap it up. Straight on Hitch Radio 920. You're listening to Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q on Raider Nation Radio. We were talking earlier in the show. Many thanks to Vinny Bonsignor who joined us in the last segment, breaking everything down, all things silver and black as far as the draft goes. We were talking about Khalif Barnes, who was the right tackle for a very long time with the silver and black. Just seemed like every time the season wrapped up, it's like, all right, they're going to go get another right tackle. Khalif Barnes resigns. Big Dub Raider hit us up on the don'tbebroke.com text line at 69187, keyword R&R. Yeah, Q, I can remember vividly watching NFL Network back in the day and seeing for like three years in a row, Raiders re-signed Khalif Bournes. Need to solidify that right side, hashtag go Raiders. And that's the thing about it, man. That spot in particular has really been, you know, just like a, a turnstile for a while. It just has never been solidified for, I mean, uh, it's, it's been a long time. It's been a long time since it's actually been held down consistently by one dude. And it's not from lack of trying. There's been plenty of effort for the Raiders to go and solidify that right tackle spot. It just hasn't come to fruition. Obviously, uh, the latest selection that they tried to make, Alex Leatherwood, that didn't work out. Went out and made the big spend on Trent Brown. Thought that was going to be fantastic. It was great when he was playing. Problem is he didn't play enough. You know, he was one of those guys that he, he's one of those I put in the category of he loves what football does for him. He doesn't necessarily love football. <laughs> right? And I think that that's fair. And, and the reason I think that that's a, a, a fair description not to mention he's blocked me on Twitter, but uh, I think the <laughs> that's a fair that's a fair description because you see how many times the Patriots have let him go, how many times they've seen him, they've let him walk. And matter of fact, the Niners had him first. Then he went to New England, he won a ring there. Bill Belichick let him walk, goes to the Raiders, cashes out, gets a fat check. Raiders let him go, goes back to the Patriots, right? Trades him back to the Patriots. Then the Patriots let him go around free agency and test the waters. He looked like he was going to be a Seattle Seahawk. Then all of a sudden, boom, he ended up back in, in New England, right? If he was that guy that was just a solidified, no doubt about it, no-brainer, he's going to be that tackle of the future, and he's, he ain't going nowhere for you know, 10, 12 years. He, he's pulling the Colton Miller. He wouldn't be on so many teams. But the fact that he's been on so many teams tells you really all you need to know about Trent Brown. But I can say when he was out there, he was, he was dominant. He was really good for the silver and black. He just wasn't out there. Enough. So uh, very busy show today. We definitely appreciate all the feedback that we've gotten on the phone lines and, of course, the text line as well, 69187, keyword R&R. Plenty that we've got to on this show. We started things off with Cynthia Freeland from NFL Network uh, talking all things quarterbacks, the top four or five quarterbacks, and she has a piece out on NFL.com. You can check out Derek Schultz from ISC Sportsnet. Joined us to talk about the Colts and what they might do at the number four spot if they'll trade up to maybe the number three, maybe even the number two spot to go get their quarterback. Then we have Paloma Villacana from Fox 5 Sports. She talked all things UNLV, talked about a gala that she was at, talked about the Aces. Tamara Zarley, Clippers beat writer, joined us at 4 o'clock to talk about the NBA playoffs when it comes to uh, the Clippers and the Suns as that gets started on Sunday. And then we just talked to Vinny Bonsignor 
as well. So it's been a loaded day, loaded week, man. Really good uh, guest that we had. Uh, excited about next week as we'll be a little bit closer to the NFL draft. Starting on Monday, we're going to start going through our Unnecessary Roughness uh, mock draft where we'll talk to beat writers or someone who covers each and every one of the teams. You can look at the first four teams and say, okay, they're going to talk to someone Panthers, they're going to talk to the Texans, they're going to talk all things Cardinals and all things uh, Colts. Those will be the four guests that we have for sure. They'll make their selections and we'll keep the party rolling. And we'll go 1 through 31 until that's all done. And that should stop around Wednesday, right before the draft. So about the 26th, that should get wrapped up. And you'll have our draft, and you'll figure out where the O-blank moment comes from. Because I promise you, an O-blank moment is going to come. So we've got that coming up next week. Uh, we've got tickets to the Vegas uh, Battle for Vegas games, uh, the softball game going down on the 22nd of July between the Knights and the Raiders, the fourth annual one. You want tickets to that? We have those and a whole lot more. Do a fantastic job of giving out a bunch of prizes here on the radio stations. That's going to do it for our show today. Uh, it's going to do it for us for the week, right? We'll be back on Monday. We definitely appreciate everyone. As always, make sure you wake up with the morning tailgate. Clay Baker, Heidi Fang, and Vinny Bonsignor, 7 a.m. to 10 a.m. JT the Brick will follow them up noon to 2. And, of course, we'll be here to close it down 2 to 5 p.m. right here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Have a fantastic weekend.